With Shift Work, a podcast made in collaboration with RWCF and HRN, we're shifting the conversation about how the restaurant food you love makes its way to the table. Listen to and follow Shift Work on your favorite podcast app. Every restaurant, no matter how hard they try, ends up with food waste. Slow nights, weather-impacted outdoor dining, pandemic surges and dips, and just the normal ebb and flow of running a restaurant can leave food on the table, literally. There have been options in the past, but how does a case of celery on the brink or an overstock of milk help by itself? Rethink Food tackled this problem with a solution that puts ready-to-eat meals directly in the hands of those that need it. Started in 2017, Rethink has distributed nearly 6.9 million meals to communities impacted by food insecurity. And here with us today is Rethink's founder and CEO, Matt Joswiak. Matt has worked in restaurants nearly his entire life, starting as a dishwasher and eventually landing as a chef de partie at EMP. Welcome to the show. We're excited to have you. Excited to be here. Thank you. Welcome. And I just want to warn everybody in advance, it's Lunar New Year, and we closed our office today for the first time, and our kids are off of school. So we are home, and if you hear the kids in the background, we apologize. <laughs> it's one of the fun, not usually, we're usually in the studio or in the office for these. Um, but we're excited to have you and um, on the show and on Heritage Radio, and um, we think what you're doing is really awesome for communities as well as for restaurants. So tell our listeners who may not be familiar about Rethink and, and what you guys are doing. Yeah, sure. And thanks, uh, thanks again for having me. It's um, we do we do two things underneath one brand, which is Rethink Certified. Um, we our mission is to create a, a sustainable and um, equitable food system. And when we talk about sustainability, it's exactly what you're talking about. There's always some excess left over at the end of the night. Nobody likes going to their favorite restaurant and seeing them run out of something. So there's always bulk. Um, and there's really no good place to put it. So what we do is we work with businesses and uh, larger food producers to collect their excess food. We make meals out of it and we cater local community centers. And that accounts for about, um, I would say, 10% of the food that we put out Um that we put out every every uh, week. The other 90% of what we do is under the creating a more equitable food system. And what we do is we raise money using high-end restaurants, whether it's a charge on the check or uh, you know some other means, whether they throw a fundraising event. We take those dollars and we give them to local restaurants and the communities that we partner with to cater their local community center. Um, and today we've distributed about $25 million to restaurants, um, predominantly owned by women and people of color, um, in the neighborhoods that we serve. So how, um, so tell us like what, you know, makes this model different is, is it the redistribution from, you know, from the restaurants to smaller local restaurants that are less high end and directly into their community center, or is it the repurposing of food? Tell us how it's, you know, how it sort of has been different from some of the other like food rescue organizations out there. Yeah, I think our main difference is, um, you know, we, we say we're community based organization first all the time. And we really look at it like, you know, catering orders. So what, what tends to happen in this space is that, you know, there's really great organizations like City Harvest that delivers that does about 10 times what we do um, that delivers bulk for pantries and other things um, to the community-based organization. But then on top of it, a lot of the, uh, a lot of our partners choose to do prepared meal service as well. And when they do that, they have to find volunteers and they have to 
you know, build a kitchen and do a bunch of other stuff. And it's like running a free restaurant. And it's really, really, really challenging. So to kind of complement um, the pantry services that are available, we provide ready-to-eat food um, based off of the kind of dietary and um, cultural um, specifications of each community center. And how, so how many partner restaurants do you have so far? Uh, we were at like, you know, at the height of COVID, we were working with a little over 100 um, small businesses across the country. Um, and now we're, we're down to around like the seventies that we're working with, um, asking them to prepare meals for their local community. It tell, so did, tell, did the model pivot and change with COVID? Tell us how that, how COVID has sort of shaped the organization and where you are now. Yeah, it was really organic. You know, it was, um, it was really, really organic. So like we, when COVID hit in March, you know, with the help of our board chair and the help of, um, a couple of, uh, Daniel Hume. Eleven Madison Park, we kind of put together a plan um, to basically, we, we, you know, everybody thought COVID was like eight weeks, 10 weeks or whatever, you know, in the beginning, like that's how long we were talking about being shut down. And, you know, we had all these cooks that were in this very central commissary kitchen and we were very, very worried that somebody was going to get sick and then we weren't going to be able to provide food to all the community centers that we provide food to. So we decided to kind of like spread people out by asking some of our friends who owned restaurants, if we could like, you know, make meals over there or use their kitchen space or, you know, just do like teams of three teams of four so that we were kind of decentralized a little bit. And pretty quickly, you know, within the first, I would say two weeks, we realized that teams, um, pre-existing teams are really, really, really important, especially in kitchens. Um, and it's something that I should have definitely recognized as a cook. And we thought it was kind of silly to kind of break down teams and put in our own team um, at the restaurant. And we just asked if the current kitchen staff could stay and help us produce this food. Um, after that, we started realizing that we shouldn't be paying, you know, shipping costs to make food in lower Manhattan and send it up to, you know, Harlem. And it would just make more sense to make the food in Harlem. And then after that, we realized, well, why don't we just ask the community center which restaurants they preferred? And that was kind of the eureka moment is, you know, working with the community centers to figure out the restaurants in their neighborhood that they trust, that um, make food that's culturally celebrated, that also, you know, that also shares their, the, the, the same, you know, dietary restrictions. Got it. So, and that's where the 90-10 split comes in now is like 10% of these restaurants are still you know, servicing the community center and then 90% is, is from your own commissary. How does that piece work? No, 90% of our meals come from small businesses and local. From, uh, from the restaurants. Got it. I had it reversed. Yeah. Sorry. Sure. Wow. And that, and that was a, and that was a COVID pivot. Yeah, that was definitely a COVID pivot, Basically. but we realized it's like, it's, it's a much more scalable model to try to use the capacity yeah. that already exists. And tell us about the benefit to the restaurants, right? So now you have um, all these restaurants who are actively, you know, helping feed their communities as well. Um, how does, how does, what is the economics and what does that look like for them? Yeah. So we built a couple of models that, um, and you know, it, it was interesting because we went back and forth about like cost per unit and, you know, we, we modeled it out like a bunch of times to try to figure out what was going to be best. And, um, our kind of like metric for if it works for a restaurant is if restaurants want to keep doing it. And we found that like every restaurant in our network really, really wants to continue to make meals for us. And so 
a lot of these models popped up where they were going to place a catering order for a hospital for a week or a day. And um, it wasn't really sustainable. So what we do is we commit to restaurants for at least three months. Um, and some most of our partners have been with us over a year, um, you know, that, that still make meals for us. And when you will, we'll give them around, you know, it's $5 a unit. Um, the maximum amount is $250,000 a year. Um, but it's sizable. It's really, really, really sizable. And it kind of folds into their standard operating procedures. So like, the AM cooks come in, they prep the meals, they help the PM people get set up. Um, they use the excess that was left over from the night before. And it builds this like baseline revenue stream underneath the current operations that allows them to uh, have some consistency in revenue, which is something very rare in, in restaurants. Especially right now with everything shutting down and starting again. How how are you seeing it change, right? So you've been doing this now for two years, like you said, like we all thought it was eight weeks and now it's, you know, we're entering our third year. How What what are you seeing happen now as we're sort of starting to live with the pandemic and where do you see this going and how do you keep scaling it? Um, yeah, so I think that there's like a couple of things that we, we see, um, one, I think that this is never going to go away. I think restaurants are always going to have the capacity to cater local community centers. And in fact, we find that restaurants, <clears throat> a lot of restaurants are actually doing this actively already, but they don't have, um, they just don't have the, like, you know, they're, they're going to do it regardless, but having more resources helps them do it better. Um, and then the other thing is I think, you know, high end restaurants, fine dining restaurants, um, all are kind of searching for a social purpose. Um, we've seen this pretty consistently amongst big brands and stuff like that. And a lot of what, what tends to happen is that each individual restaurant wants to start their own nonprofit, right? And we've seen this like a bunch of times, but about a year in or six months in, they start to realize that like, it's a ton of work. It's a ton of like, you know, you have to have a board, you have to get audited, you have to have finance staff, you know, it's just like a lot of like compliance work goes into it and it becomes redundant. Sounds like somebody who's been through the, like you sound like mm. somebody who's been through, yeah, yeah, through the compliance part. You're like, Oh, it's a lot of work. Yeah, no, it's true. It is a lot of work. Go ahead. Yeah, no, totally. And it's like, it's just like, it seems so great, like right off the cuff. And then it's like, Oh man, this is actually really hard. And then plus there's redundancy in services provided, you know, like the nonprofit landscape, um, you know, it, it is, is really robust and you can't walk three blocks without seeing a nonprofit, especially in New York city, um, you know, schools, parks, all that stuff. And so you end up with these redundancies that happen. So what we think is trying to be is kind of like the nonprofit for every restaurant. Like if you're, um, you know, a kind of a wine list, you know, mid-level restaurant in Williamsburg, you can become rethink certified. For every guest that comes in, you can charge a little fee, you can throw an event, and then we'll return, you know, impact metrics to you and your team's volunteer opportunities so that you don't have to kind of do the work and you can have a very strong social purpose without uh, diverting resources away from your core business. Is there a size of restaurant that is it's better suited to what you guys are doing or... On the meal production side, um, restaurants that make meals, like it, it definitely doesn't make sense for like, you know, like, um, you know, some like hip Williamsburg restaurant to like be made, you know, with, uh, uh, you know, a 400 square foot kitchen to be trying to make, you know, 300 meals. 
Um, it, it, for restaurants that make meals, uh, it, it really it just is restaurants that cook in bulk. So soul food restaurants are a perfect example. Um, buffet restaurants or restaurants like uh, Chinese restaurants, like those are restaurants that are really um, specific types of them that are used to cooking in bulk that make adding on like an, another, you know, X amount of units isn't that hard. Um, for fundraising restaurants, it's really, yeah, it can definitely be any, any type of restaurant, but we find that kind of more of the fine dining-esque restaurants that drive where people are more attracted to it, um, where people like, you know, foodie, the foodie culture is a little more attracted to it, um, work best because they like being able to talk about how they're building a sustainable and equitable food system it becomes part of their messaging and part of their brand. How many restaurants, you, you either live in Williamsburg or have a lot of rethink certified. Yeah. I'm like, I'm just, we also live in Williamsburg. Um, so I'm like, I'm laughing because I, I can picture what wine bar you're talking, your which natural wine bar you may be talking about. Um, but yeah, so backing up of what Alex was asking about, about the size of the restaurants, how many do you have that are rethink certified and what, what do folks have to do in order, you know, if that's how they want to contribute um, get on board with that. So we're like really early in it and we have um, kind of our pivotal partners that are that are launching it. So right now the restaurants that are involved at this level are um, Audrey, <clears throat> Sean Brock's new restaurant in Nashville, um, Alteria Kren, Dominique Kren is actually the first person to have the sign in the window that she's Rethink Certified. Um, Daniel Hume has been an incredible, and it's crazy, people don't fully understand how much Daniel Hume is committed to to this work. Um, he's made hundreds of thousands of meals and, and raised, you know, um, like almost $2 million that have gone directly in the hands of entrepreneurs and in these neighborhoods. He's supported, quietly supported a bunch of restaurants and the reason why they made it through COVID. Um, now are they doing, are they doing meal prep or are they doing the add on? The add on $25. It's the most that everybody asks. I didn't really see them doing one one pot giant meals. <laughs> <laughs> they did though. I mean, that was that was like a night, man. Like we 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 were. Oh my god, it was so crazy. It was like April like first or something. It was like ten o'clock at night, and I was on the phone with them, and I was like, because I used to cook in that kitchen, and I was like, right. I really need this square footage, man. I know, like, <laughs> a massive park into of like a basically like a giant soup kitchen is like not probably what you had in mind, but. He was like, okay, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> it was, That's awesome. yeah. And then he, um, and I was like, can you help me raise the money? He's like, yeah, I can do that. And then like the next day he's like, okay, I raised the money. When can we start? <laughs> Overnight. Yeah. That's nice to have friends. like. That. I was like, okay. Yeah. He's, he's incredible. He's so great at like, he's so actionable and, and we've built such a great partnership. And then, um, so in the last one, and, and this is like really another group that I'm super excited about. And it's in Miami. I don't know if you're familiar with Michael's Genuine. Um, I love Michael Schwartz. They're customers. Hi, Michael Schwartz. Yes. Yeah. We, we, yeah. They are, they are in some Hill and Michael are incredible. They have mm -hmm. added a 1% uh, charge to every check and they are, uh, they're supporting Le Jardin, which is this awesome little Haitian restaurant in little Haiti, which makes meals for Sun La, which is a nonprofit that supports the community. And it's like, it's, it's such a beautiful relationship. And actually next Wednesday, they're all having dinner together, but they have been just such an incredible group to work with. Mm -hmm. So the restaurants get to pick which community centers and such they want to support. Uh, the other way around the community center picks where they want the food from. And then 
we uh, and then the restaurant that's fundraising will find a restaurant. We'll find a place for those dollars to go away. But it starts with the community center's needs. And, and how so how sustainable is this model? It sounds like this is like a new way of funding it. Where how where are the other funds coming from? You know, how have you done fundraising so far? Has like been individual contributors, and is this like a, a model you're trying to move towards? Always fundraising is not easy either. Yeah, no, totally. Like it's it's super hard. It's, I'm sure you know. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's like you think nonprofits are nonprofits, but it's like I mean we're fundraising for our business right now, and I like I can't even imagine nonprofits are like a business on steroids, always fundraising. So like kudos to you. Um, I'm sure that's no easy task, and it's more than a full time job. So um, I, I am curious to hear about that piece. We have an incredible development team. I mean, I've really lucked out on that front. Uh, Aaron Hill, who used to work with us at the Food Bank, is incredible. Karen and Yalda, institution and indi- institutional and individual giving, they both uh, work in that. that you know, they, they have, both have their sectors. They're just like incredible. And we've just been really blessed to have people like that in our corner. But we have a very um, generous board. And, you know, Daniel's been obviously super helpful with finding people and, and helping raise funds. But yeah, it's really, you know, in the beginning, it was all just private donations. Um, it's branched out to corporate and some government and, um, yeah, some government and now the restaurant fundraising. But it's a $21 million a year raise. Wow. Which is, uh, <clears throat> yeah, not, not fun. Tell us about how you've scaled this over time. I mean, $21 million a year is amazing. And just you started, what, four or five years ago? How Tell us how it's progressed and um, and how you've like grown the team and where you what you see for the next stage of the business, I was going to say, of the business, of the organization. Yeah. No, I mean, I definitely just made a ton of mistakes. I mean, that's <laughs> like half of it. Right. But I... Um, you know, I think that because I was a because I was a cook for so long, like everything was like kind of objective to me in a lot of ways. You know, it wasn't like, no, you like take food, you make meals, you give it out. And like, it just didn't seem that complicated, um, which I hope that we bring we, we hold on to that practicality of everything. But I started it in um, when I when I was at I left EMP to private chef. I private chefed for like a year, year and a half um, for um, some extremely wealthy guy and I made him breakfast seven days a week and I just saved all my money and I put it in a bank account. <laughs> Alex is laughing because we've been there. I enjoyed that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, and, you know, so I like, you know, I, I was like $40,000 and I had $20,000 for Rethink and $20,000 for myself and I was like, I'll be fine. And then, of course, I like immediately <laughs> ran out of money. And um, <laughs> essentially, like, you know, I really, 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 really lucked out. And I went to a private chef interview because I realized that I needed to get another job. And I basically, you know, this this guy, Julian, who's our chair, was like, you know, interviewing me to be his private chef. And he said, why don't you want to do this full time? And I said, I'm trying to do this thing. And he's like, well, that sounds awesome. And I want to help you um, no matter what, how this private chef interview goes. And I was like, wow. That's amazing. So generous. And um, I cooked him dinner and then I, you know, like went home. They called me back and for a week long interview, I did that. And at the end of it, he came in and he's like, you know, here's the deal. Like I want to, I'm going to help, you know, like I want to help you build this thing. And I was basically starting at zero, but I want, you got to be my chef. So for like a year, 
a uh, year and a half, you know, we would, uh, he's a brilliant, um, kind of strategist and, uh, you know, I'd cook him dinner and then we would like talk about rethink and next steps. And he made the initial donation. He funded the first year. He, you know, he really went above and beyond to be a major, major supporter. Um, and has become one of my closest friends in the, in the process. And so that was kind of brings us to like, you know, and then I left to work at Rethink full time in July of 2019. I was like employee number 12 or something like that. Um, and we started, uh, you know, growing the organization. That's amazing. I mean, it's, we talk about this a lot on the show. Um, and, you know, it, it applies to business. And I think it applies, obviously, to the organization that you're building. It's like, you know. I think um, community and network always matter so much. And I think it's, you know, never be afraid to share what your ideas are and what you're going through because you never know who's going to be like, I'll give you the money for that. I think that's that's very, like, a very cool story and, um, you know, great lesson for for our listeners. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'd love to say, you know, because I, sometimes I do these, like, classes and stuff um, for, like, social entrepreneurs. And I, I think that if people actually realized how many people out there are looking for people like that. It's the, the same amount of people that are like around, I don't know, but there's a lot of people who are looking for funding and there's a lot of funders that are looking for people. And it's, it's not like, there's plenty of people out there that like want to open a restaurant, but don't want to do any of the work. <laughs> so like you, there's somebody out there that wants to, that wants to help you fulfill your dream. Yeah, I know. And I think people are scared. You know, it's like you were a champion for yourself and said, like, I have this idea, even though I'm here for a job interview. And I think that, you know, that takes guts. And I think people should, you know, I think I think it's an attractive quality in an employee to understand that they have vision and want to have a bigger vision than, you know, what you're putting out there. So I think I think it's a like you said, it's an awesome lesson. And, you know, there's people who want to give you money. You just have to tell them you you want it. Um very cool. And so, and tell us a little bit about the evolution of what's happening with Rethink for like 2022 as like the pandemic is changing. I saw there was, a, there's a cafe that has now transitioned into collective fair. Like, how do you see this model scaling? Um, I, you know, you're going, it sounds like you're in Miami. How, how does it scale, you know, to help more people and for the ecosystem to continue? Yeah. I mean, and that's the word, right? Like that's what we're trying to build. Like, um, it's interesting. Like I have this all hands meeting coming up and a lot of what we're talking about is, there's some real beauty in like a restaurant people, you know, restaurant people aren't trying to be billionaires, you know, they're, they're trying to like open a great restaurant, be a part of the community, um, do something meaningful for their neighborhood, which is not that dissimilar from a nonprofit. Um, and what we find is that like you bring these people together in like the same room or underneath the same program, like magical things happen, you know, things that <clears throat> we at Rethink can't count you know, that we can't put in a KPI or an annual report. Um, you know, people making meals that just because they want to, people inviting the nonprofit in to eat at their restaurant, the nonprofit throwing a celebration or a fundraiser at the restaurant to, to put more dollars into the restaurant, um, volunteerism from cooks and dishwashers and stuff like that going to all these places. And, you know, even some situations where a nonprofit is taking is is taking care of somebody's family that you know works at the restaurant and it's this beautiful kind of ecosystem this community and what we're really trying to do is expand it through rethink certified it's hard to get involved you know in general as i think we've all learned with 
with a nonprofit, it's hard to get involved in community support. It's hard to get involved in like kind of equitable actions, but everybody wants to, you know, and, and people are searching for that fulfillment. So we're just trying to make it easy um, through Rethink Certified and nationally, we're just <clears throat> kind of building these pillars, these, these core shafts to kind of carry the flag. And then essentially um, putting together a website, which will launch sometime this year, where you can go in, you can log in, you can say, okay, I want to, you know, be a fundraising restaurant. Um, and then you'll get your Rethink Certified kit in the mail and you'll put your plaque up and then you'll be placed on a map where you can see that like Michael's Genuine has raised this amount of money that went to this restaurant and this restaurant made X amount of meals with this community center and this community center fed all of these people and also offers all these other services and, you know, really just building a, uh, an ecosystem, a community through restaurants and making it hyper scalable um, so more people can easily get involved. No, it definitely seems scalable. Um, tell me a little bit about how, you know, being a chef in a restaurant, working in hospitality for all these years helped prepare you or didn't help prepare you maybe for, you know, launching sort of a hospitality inspired um, nonprofit. No, oh, wow. That is a really good question. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's funny, our, our chief financial officer, because I always say, like, I don't know if this is the right way in office speak to do it, but in kitchens, we used to do this, you know, and like, like, for example, like timelines, like you have in kitchens where, you know, these are the 10 things I'm going to accomplish today. I'm going to spend eight minutes here, 12 minutes here, 15 minutes there. I'm going to break for five. You know, like you just you, you, you get to be so hyper efficient in kitchens that um, I like bringing that attitude to rethink Um and then also, like, I've learned a lot about um, office work and office culture that I've brought a lot to Rethink's Kitchen because we still have our commissary kitchen, which is like, you know, shorter days, higher pay, <laughs> like our, our minimum wage at Rethink that is $22 an hour. And every cook, everybody in the entire organization has full access to full benefits completely paid for by Rethink. Um, and we really pushed that culture, that narrative, um, within. So I, I learned a lot and I think that I'm kind of, I have a coach and stuff and I try to read a lot of books and I ask a lot of questions. And like I said, I make a lot of stupid mistakes for sure. Um, but you know, I just tried to surround myself with really smart people that I can trust and the executive team of rethink that they really push me into becoming more of a more not formal but like a better strategy kind of person and then um i try to keep that culture of you know we work with our hands we get stuff done it's a labor of love kind of attitude um and also a sense of urgency that you learn in the kitchen yes there's definitely i think uh chef run businesses outside of the kitchen there's definitely like a sense of urgency but also efficiency that i think is definitely learned from a kitchen i don't know i feel that with working with you alex from your kitchen days yeah for sure hi i'm kiki luya the executive director of restaurant workers community foundation and i'm the host of a new podcast called shift work in the last six months some 6,500 restaurants have closed their doors, and there's never been a time when restaurants and their 12 million workers have been more vulnerable. It's time to transform hospitality. With Shift Work, a podcast made in collaboration with RWCF and HRN, 
we're shifting the conversation about how the restaurant food you love makes its way to the table. What does it really take to make that experience happen? And who are the countless workers responsible? We're talking porters, cleaning crew, prep cooks, servers, baristas, hosts, bartenders, barbacks, managers, sommeliers, and chefs. I'll also introduce you to organizations that are leading industry transformation. We'll discuss mental health, fair pay, racial justice, and how hospitality can change for the better. We need it. Listen to and follow Shift Work on your favorite podcast app. Awesome. Should we hop into some lightning round? These are like just quick little one answer questions that we typically ask um, every guest. Al, you want to kick it off? Sure. Um, Matt, what was your biggest win when starting Rethink? Biggest win when starting Rethink? Um, I think when the guy I private chef for agreed to be the chair of the board. <laughs> I'd say that was pretty big. To, yeah. to go on an, an interview for a job you didn't necessarily want to do and then get to fund your business. Yeah. And what about the biggest challenge? I think the biggest challenge in scaling something is that you usually you started with a really small group of friends or people that you kind of see as friends and everybody's kind of on the same level. And as you grow those friendships and that it turns into you're, you're, you're responsible for their actions. You're responsible for, for managing them. And they might not actually have the skill set that you need to get to the next level. And so saying goodbye to people that help you build it is probably the hardest thing I've had to do. That's true. I think a lot of businesses face that as they scale as the people who started the business aren't always the people to lead it. And that happens with founders too, by the way. It's like sometimes, you know, sometimes the founders started the business aren't the best ones to take it to the next level. I pray our business gets that big enough. That's what I want in my life to hire myself out of a job. Um, yeah, but it's, it's, those are definitely like hard things that entrepreneurs have to go through. Um, this is one of our favorite and this can be anything best business resource. It could be a book, a podcast person, all of the above. Yeah, I mean, I, I got to say, I'm just talking about Julian here, but it's got to be either Julian or Daniel, um, my board, Tim, Cheryl, Sean, Tracy. I mean, it's just the board that we've, um, Marshall, that we put together and, and definitely Maurice. They, they're amazing. And yeah, I mean, it's really the strength in that board that I feel like I can like pick up the phone and call them at any time. Or if I text them, they'll text me back. Like that vulnerability and trust that you build that way is like incredible. And last one, what are you hopeful for as the hospitality industry continues to recover? I think that people, uh, perspective, I think that people, I hope this is true. I hope this is true for everybody who listens to this is like, we learn the hard way. Um, and I think restaurant industry people knew this well before COVID, but how important the restaurant is. It's not, you know, like, Gordon Ramsay's not back there screaming and throwing pots at everybody. Like, it's not like, you know, not everybody who works in the service industry drinks too much and smokes cigarettes, you know, like it's not this kind of like, Oh, you're a part-time actor and a part-time server thing. It's like a very, really important part of your local community. And actually the last place where you're actually going to thoughtfully interact with, um, your community, with the people around you, with the people who live around you. And like, 
it's restaurants are just so unbelievably special and important. And I think that we all learn to value them in a better way. Yeah, that's I mean, that's been a very common theme on the show, too, for the last year and a half is, is like people it's that also that translates into people's willing like communities willingness to pay for meals that they enjoy at their favorite restaurants so they continue to support them in a meaningful way that pays people fairly and equitably um and i i think we're seeing that change like you said you got you're paying people 22 dollars an hour in your kitchens and we're seeing a lot of restaurants raise what wages they they they're paying people and they're passing the cost on to the consumer um so yeah i think we appreciate and love restaurants we live for them we literally live for them um but yeah, I love that. So now is a good chance to, speaking of restaurants, um, we always do an opening soon announcement since um, the show is opening soon. So tell us, um, you shouted out that Michael's Genuine is coming on as a partner, so Miami folks support them. But um, tell us any other restaurants that you've been to recently that are re- that are opening or maybe reopened or any partners that you're bringing on that people can go and patronize. Yeah, no, um, you know, it's been really cool because a lot of my friends that I cooked with at EMP are opening up places in one place that I yeah. don't think is getting the love that, like, I mean, it got a lot of press right off the bat, not press, but got a lot of Instagram love right off the bat, but like Marion's in the West Village, it's run by Christian Rowan. It's incredible. And it's like an EMP chef not trying to make like super fancy food. All he wants to do is make homey, warm, delicious, fun you know, there's like a clam chowder that it's like a pot pie and really amazing, just kind of soulful pastas and great dishes that you want to eat. It's like the best neighborhood restaurant um, I've been to in a long time. Yeah, Marion's. Okay, I'm going to put it on the list. Put it on our date night list, Al. Um, we're going to Bonnie's in Williamsburg, which I'm very excited about this Thursday nice. night, which is new. From Have you been no, yet? No, I haven't been yet, but I've heard good things. Yes, I'm so excited from um, Calvin was a chef at Winsign and it's named after his mom, which I love. So I'm really excited about that. Um, how do restaurants that want to get involved and become Rethink certified, what like what steps do they take? Is there an application process? Tell our listeners how they could be, be get involved. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, at, at the risk of doing this, you can just email me at mattj at rethinkfood.org. but um you know make sure you get all the right spot and then uh the other thing is is uh you know you just go to the website um there's a link where you can kind of like go there it's not up to the place where we're trying to get it to where you can literally sign up online and see your restaurant on a map and track your fundraising and meal production but we're getting there getting there working on that tech stack all right matt j at rethink.com you could probably also dm the the general read to thinkfood.org my bad um you you might get some emails not gonna lie our our listeners have been known to uh to reach out to to guests on the show so i hope you do because it would be awesome for for you to have some new partners um al for sure um matt tell us how we can find rethink on social and online Uh, on instagram it's at rethink food and then rethinkfood.org is our uh website cool and is there a list on the website of, of Rethink Certified Restaurants? Yep. Yeah, there's like every restaurant that we've ever worked for. It's it's pretty cool. It's a pretty impressive group of group of people. Cool. Cool. Thank you. And you can find us at We Are Opening Soon and at Till at NYC. Thanks so much for chatting with us. Thank you. Opening Soon is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. 
For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org, and connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You could also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening.